This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Welcome to The Voice of Leadership, and today I have a very special guest, Juana Bordas. Juana Bordas was founding president of the National Hispanic Leadership Institute and a founder of Mikasa Resource Center, which today is the largest Latino-serving organization in Colorado. In 2001, she founded the Circle of Latina Leadership to prepare the next generation. Her book, Salsa, Soul, and Spirit, Leadership for a Multicultural Age, won the International Latino Book Award for Leadership. The Power of Latino Leadership was awarded the Nautilus Award for Best Indigenous Book and the International Latino Book Award for Leadership. In 2015, she was a contributor to the New York Times bestseller, Peter Drucker's Five Most Important Questions. Juana was the first Latina faculty at the Center for Creative Leadership and taught in the Leadership Development Program, the most highly utilized corporate training program in the world. She served as advisor to Harvard's Hispanic Journal on Public Policy, the Kellogg National Fellows Program, vice chair of the Greenleaf Center for Servant Leadership, and trustee of the International Leadership Association. She received an honorary doctorate from Union University in 2009 and the Lifetime Achievement Award from the International Leadership Association in October 2019. She is the first Latina honored with this prestigious award, which has been received by Warren Bennis, Robert Greenleaf, Peter Drucker, James McGregor Burns, Max Dupree, and Margaret Wheatley. Juana is president of Mestiza Leadership International, a company that promotes diversity and the benefits of multicultural leadership. Juana, that's a lot. And I know there's a whole lot more that we could say about you because you are a total powerhouse and thought leader on multicultural leadership. So welcome to The Voice of Leadership. Well, I am so excited that we have this program and that people can sharpen their leadership skills and also be thinking about why leadership is so important, particularly today as we're going through so many social transformations in our country. Absolutely, Juana. And and because you're an expert specifically on multicultural leadership, I know there are probably some people in our audience who don't know exactly what that is. So let's start there. What is multicultural leadership? How is it different from other forms of leadership? And what are the benefits? Well, I wanted to say something about um, the introduction that you did, because actually my introduction kind of talks about what multicultural leadership is. 
you know, multicultural leadership is really an inclusive form of leadership. And it's a philosophy that says that we want to incorporate and bring in the practices, the experiences, the history of all the people that make up our country, or if you're in another um, country, all the people that you work with, so that it's not just one form. And it grew out of communities of color. And one of the most important things about this form of leadership is that it is an activist or an, a practitioner's form of leadership. In other words, it's not just learning about leadership, it's actually practicing leadership to create what Martin Luther King called the compassionate and the good society. It's a form of leadership that really wants to bring inclusiveness at all levels of society so that the potential of all people is reached. And the reason that's so important is because leadership really grew out of kind of a hierarchical organizational form where it was leadership by the few and it was mainly crafted by white men, part of it out of the military. And so that form of leadership might have been very useful during uh, that period of time or during the industrial society when people were lined up in factories, etc. But it's not a very useful form today when we have so much diversity, when we're looking at our global community, when we're looking at the contributions that other people have made to America. And we really want to have a more inclusive, a welcoming form of leadership, because in reality, it's more effective. One size leadership does not fit all. That's a great one. And so one of the hallmarks really is the inclusivity that you're mentioning. And you're also talking about something other than hierarchical. In fact, I know that one of the principles is to be a leader among equals. Can you say more about that? Yeah. Oh, well, I was going to say about my resume, one of the reasons I've built organizations and stuff is because we look at leadership as something on the ground that helps people and that engages people. Well, in order to do that, you have to have principles like the leader is equal. You have to believe that everybody is not only unique, but that everybody has something to contribute. And so each person has different skills and abilities and each person has different passions. They have things they're they're interested in. And so when you're looking at the leader as equal, it really means that you have respect for every single person. And that's even true in an organization, because if you don't really respect the people that keep the place clean or that are the, are the secretaries and administrative people that make the engine run, well, you're not going to have a good organization. Every single person is important. The leader is equal also says that the leader, whether it's a collaborative group or whatever, they have to exemplify the kind of qualities that they want other people to follow. So it's about the character of the leader. It's about walking your talk. It's about setting an example so that other people can say, oh, I can do that. I know how to do it. I want to follow that person because of his character or her character and because they're the type of leader that really develops and grows people. So the leader of equal is really very important because in that way, you're opening the door and welcoming people to come in and to contribute and to do their part in creating a good organization, community, or society. So that actually, Juana, makes me think about another concept, which is some people would refer to the United States, for example, as an individualistic kind of a, a culture, whereas there are many cultures across the globe that have a more collectivist approach or philosophy or concept. And it sounds like from what you're saying, this notion of everyone being important in the community 
in order for things to work effectively relates to that difference between individualism and collectivism. So what can you tell us about that? Well, that is really an important point. And in reality, uh, Karen, uh, most of the cultures in the world and women in all cultures are more collectivist or collaborative or care about the whole more than the individual in the sense. And it doesn't mean I can't be everything I can be. I mean, we want individuals to be strong. You know, American Indians taught it to me this way. They said, you know, when we weave a basket, that basket has to be so strong and so integrated that it can hold water, that it can hold things, that it is a collective kind of um, container, the community. But every strand has to be strong. So we're not saying that people cannot be the best they can be. In fact, the leader is equal and this type of leadership helps promote that. But what we're saying is that you're at the service of the community or the collective of the organization. In other words, it's not about me. It's about the people in the organization or the community. And why that's so important is that the individualistic style that basically came out of the rugged individual, you know, the settling of the West, uh, the whole idea that I pull myself up by my own bootstraps, all that kind of theory, it really isn't how we got here. We got here as human beings. We got to where we are. We became the top of the evolutionary pile because we had very, very unique and refined ways of working together in the tribe, in the community, in the collective, in the church, in our nonprofits, and even we should have in government. So really, in reality, we have gotten to where we are as human beings because we're the most sophisticated people able to work together. And the individualistic paradigm was really a myth, if you want to call it that, because nobody makes it on their own. A mature leader will tell you that. We were all nourished by our families, by our communities, by our ministers, by our coaches, by our teachers, by our siblings. And so the leader's equal really has that sense of respect for those who have contributed to make me who I am. And that sense of respect then brings a sense of responsibility that how do I give back for all that I've been given? You know, it's interesting that you talk about how that it's not at all minimizing the excellence of individual contribution. And that's very similar to what I talk about when I'm talking about assembling high-performance teams. When you bring a high-performance team together, each individual is contributing the best of what they have to give, and it's because each person is contributing at that level and they have that shared mission and vision, they can actually be a high-performance team. So I'm glad you covered that as well so that people know it's not that we're talking about a regression to the mean or having people minimize their skills, but it's really put them together so that they're more powerful. Yeah, it's not only that they're more powerful, but it's actually the role of the leader to create the environment and the values that encourage people to bring out the best or to even take a risk or 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 to say, I can do that or, or to be more committed, to be more motivated, to do more, you know, to pick up the ball when it drops. And so it really is the job of the leader to create that sense of potential in people. And it's pretty amazing to me because as an elder now, 
I can see how young leaders develop. And if they're nourished, if the leader sees their potential, if the leader actually says to them, you know, we're all leaders here. And, and, you know, that person really can develop at a much higher level and make a better contribution. So it really works really well to be a collaborative leadership and inclusive leader, because then you create other leaders that can move the work forward, regardless of what you're doing. Absolutely. And you know, Lana, earlier you said something else that I want to come back to, and it's kind of the notion of utilizing all of what each culture and each person brings. And as I think about, for example, immigrant families coming to the United States, and I know that frequently they're often expected to assimilate. And considering even your own experience as an immigrant, What's the difference between assimilation and acculturation? One thing I want to say is that assimilation might have been necessary when the United States was forming and they wanted to have a kind of a collective identity. Who are we? But it's not a really good skill to have in the multicultural age because assimilation says we have one culture and everyone has to kind of lockstep learn that and be part of that. Whereas acculturation says you take the best of each culture and you move it forward. I can give you an example of that. As a Latina, ever since I was a child, we've always had many uh, community celebrations and family celebrations. So one of the principles of Latino leadership is to celebrate uh, life and to um, use music and and food. Uh, You know, that's a golden rule in Latino leadership. You always serve food, you know. But it's the whole idea that people want to celebrate leadership and celebrate their accomplishments. And that creates not only community memories, but it bonds people together. It, it, it builds relationship. They become more of a tribe or a family. And so each leadership piece, each culture contributes. Let's look at uh, African-American leadership and how they brought civil rights to the foreground and brought forward the idea that leadership was about creating equity and creating inclusiveness and creating the kind of society that valued all its people. Well, these are contributions that these cultures are making, which are very relevant to any organization or community today. We have to celebrate our success because life can be difficult. There, you know, you do have challenges. Sometimes you have setbacks, but if you have that sense of celebration, that sense of can do, that sense of we're together in this, you know, that makes uh, the, the purpose better. And then the other thing is that when you look at leadership and you say, what is really the purpose of leadership? And in the African-American community, they're telling us that the purpose of leadership is to create equity and inclusiveness and to make sure that everybody is at the table. And so all of these principles that come out of different cultures are really important because they enrich leadership. And a Acculturation does not mean that you don't embrace your own culture. It means that you are constantly searching and looking and learning about other cultures and other people and how you can learn from them to make leadership richer and to make leadership more relevant to everyone in your group. I really like that concept where you are promoting learning from other cultures. And it also sounds like sharing your own culture so that others can learn at the same time. So Juana, I want you to think about who are the the role models out there and the exemplars of the type of leadership that you are talking about. Who's in the world today that we can see as embodying some of these principles? 
Well, I do want to say something that I think is is really relevant. As I've continued my work in multicultural leadership, you know, I really learned the leader is equal from the American Indian community, where you look at the fact that they're sitting in a circle, right, instead of the hierarchy or the pyramid. And what they're saying is that we're a group and each one of us has a different perspective because we're sitting in different parts of the circle. Each one of us has different gifts, experiences, skills, et cetera, but that collectively we're, we're a group and that we're stronger when we recognize that. The other principle that goes hand in hand with the leader is equal is leadership by the many. Once you have each person believing that they have a contribution to make, once you have that idea of circular or collaborative of inclusive leadership, what you have is leadership by the many. Everybody is participating. And that's so important when you take that into a large organization or you take it into our society as a whole. If everybody took on the responsibility of leadership at whatever level they're capable of doing or whatever skills they have, we could create a much different world and a much different organization or community. So the leader is equal is the result it results in leadership by the many, where many people are ready and able to lead. And so that creates a leaderful organization or a leaderful community. That's very important that people have that sense of everyone can contribute and together, and that means you have to have skills to bring people together, to have that shared vision, to have everyone on the same page, to have that recognition of who am I and what is it that I'm going to contribute? Is it my time to lead? Is it my time to follow? You know, so it becomes a very inclusive process, but it also becomes a process where people feel that sense of, of unity and community that we're doing it together. And sounds like to me, too, another concept that's important in what you're saying, in order to do it together, the leader also has to do some of his or her own work. I know in my book, Lead Yourself First, I really talk about how important it is to take that personal journey and to develop yourself. So in that spirit, and kind of looking more personally, Juana, what cross-cultural or other experiences do you engage in to prepare yourself to lead multicultural communities? Well, I'm fortunate in the sense that I was born on the Caribbean coast of Nicaragua, where there are many cultures there. There's Indian, there's Spanish, there's uh, African-American, or I guess they wouldn't be African-Americans, they'd be Black Americans. So I grew up kind of in a multicultural cauldron, if you want to call it that. And so even as a young age, I was able to participate and enjoy and see the beauty. It's really, you know, the way I look at it is that if God wanted us to all be the same and to only be one culture, that's what we'd have. But that is not what nature or the great spirit or God has put on the earth. Every single thing is unique. Every person is unique. And so I kind of grew up in that kind of an environment where I really felt like that there were a lot of gifts that different cultures brought. But I also grew up in the 40s, 50s, and 60s where you had to assimilate. So as a young child, I, I had to go into a school where I didn't even know the language. And so I learned the white male system. I learned the mainstream system. And as I grew older, I began to realize the exclusiveness of that, the fact that it didn't really work, the fact that, you know, if you look at our society today, there are a lot of people, I mean, loneliness is is an issue for people. The United States uh, uses more drugs than any other society in the world. Our families are not as strong as they used to be. All of these things point to the fact that people do not feel nourished, uh, taken care of, respected, included. And so that one system, uh, which we see today, we 
see it today in social issues like the gap between the rich and the poor. We know that it is not people of color and and women uh, that have created the society we live in today. And we have some incredible, valuable things to to, uh, contribute. How did we survive 500 years? How did African-Americans make it out of slavery? How did uh, American Indians continue to have 500 thriving cultures in this society? How come Latinos are the fastest entrepreneurial group in this country? They They work harder and have more workforce participation than any group. I mean, why is it these communities are thriving the way they are? What are the principles that have carried them forward? What are the values that they hold dear? What is it they can contribute? And so that whole idea to me of being really open to other cultures, to understanding that this is a journey, a transformational journey that we are all on. We are finally here with a global community. We're finally here where different cultures are living side by side. And so we have an opportunity in this lifetime to transform society and to really bring back the idea that we are all one, that you know God might have made us different, but that we share the commonality of being part of this incredible creation. And so I feel very fortunate that we're living in these times where we can, whether we're watching movies or eating ethnic food or talking to our next door neighbor or the Uber driver from Pakistan, we've got all these opportunities to learn, to grow, to be together, and to really create a new transformative multicultural society that benefits all of us. You know, and it's really great that you said from an early age, you were exposed to different cultures and learned from an early age how to value and appreciate those differences. And you've continued, even in your current life, to surround yourself with many different kinds of people. So that's part of your personal leadership journey and what you're doing to continue to grow and to develop. And so now on the other end, about really creating leadership of the many, how would you say that leaders in your organization are walking the talk to cultivate diversity and to practice community servanthood? Well, I would say that the first thing, that the switch from servant leadership to uh, community stewardship is an important shift because a lot of the early literature talked about the development of the individual leader. But we really work on the development of community leaders. And that's a kind of a different format in the sense that what we're saying is that I'm going to be a better leader in in the context of community. I'm going to be a better leader when I am surrounded by other people that have that shared value, that have that shared vision. And so one important thing with the organizations that I work with is to ask, you know, what, what, what is it that we're trying to do and what are the needs of the people that we are trying to serve? What are those and how can we do that in the best way possible? So that becomes a guiding principle is that organizations and businesses that they're there to provide services as well. What is it that people really need and how can we really participate in listening and learning from them, but also delivering the kind of services and creating the kind of organizations that really help them? 
So that is an important thing. But the other thing is, is that when we do a program with the organization that I'm currently leading, we try to use music, we try to have cultural events, we try to have ceremony, you know, we can pick up different things. I'll give you an example. Part of developing yourself is is creating and learning skills. It's learning more about yourself. It's a building process. But part of it is letting go, letting go of the old, letting go of resentments, letting go of things that no longer serve you, or simply, you know, shedding that skin and saying, wow, I'm ready for something different. I'm ready to grow. Well, the Cherokees have a a tremendous ceremony that we've used in, in our programs where every year at the beginning of the year, they go down to the river. And each person, uh, the tribe, you know, uh, picks up water and swirls it around to represent cleansing and water is life and actually says, "Okay, I am letting go. I am letting go of of the idea that I'm that that I'm that I'm not very communicative or talent, whatever it is you want to let go of or I'm letting go of of that (laughs) ex-husband that that doesn't serve me anymore. I am um, letting go of the fact that today I feel like um, maybe I'm not as young as I used to be and I'm trying to to make sure that I finish my life strong. You know, I'm in my 70s. I want to finish my life strong. So that letting go process is really important. And I've had people tell me that that whole process of being able to let go of the past. And, you know, it's it's true in confessions. It's true in Ramadan. It's true in a lot of cultures where they have a process by which you can drop your baggage. And, you know, psychologists can sit around and talk about it all the time. But remember that a sacrament, something that is holy, something that is a ceremony, is an outward sign of an inward process. And so once I do that outward sign, once I let go of the fact that I am going to be vibrant and I am going to be energetic until um, the end of my life, once I accept that and embrace it, it will be so. You know, this is really a powerful concept because it's the whole idea that life is dynamic. We're bringing things in and we're learning new cultures and new traditions and we're letting go of things, as you said, that don't serve us anymore. So now, Juana, if people want to learn more, uh, your books are selling like 45,000 copies and more. That is huge. Let's say the names of those books again and where people can get your book. Well, um, of course, there's Amazon and bookstores, and and my publisher is Barrett Kohler. So um, Salsa, Soul, and Spirit, Leadership for a Multicultural Age, was the first leadership book on on multicultural leadership. And I just want to take a moment because, you know, I believe that diversity and inclusiveness is not about color or race or gender or class or any of those things. It's about consciousness. It's about, do I really believe in the equality of people? Do I really want to show respect for everybody, whether they're cleaning the floor or whether they're the CEO of the corporation? So that is really important that comes out of that work. But I was encouraged to write and I didn't start writing till I was 50. So one of the things I hope people will get from this radio show is the fact that you're going to have a long life. Uh, The lifespan doubled in the last century and you're going to have many careers. I didn't become a writer till I was 50, but it was white males that I worked with in leadership that encouraged me to write. I would talk to them about leadership as building community, leadership as as a collaborative process where everybody was respected. I would talk to them about the fact that communities of color have thrived and survived because of the way they they hang together and and then they celebrate their lives. And so they said to me, Juana, you have to write. 
So when I look at diversity, I don't look at a white male or or a, an African-American man or whatever. I look at whether that person really has the values that says, yes, I believe in diversity. I believe in inclusiveness. I believe in the sanctity of the human being. So Salsa, Soul, and Spirit was the first multicultural book. I'm very proud of that. And I'm, and I'm very happy about my second book, The Power of Latino Leadership, because that was the first book on Latino leadership. And I would encourage people to read them or read other books because, you know, learning is, is so important. And if we want to create this multicultural consciousness, we have to make it a priority and we have to take responsibility for doing that. Fantastic. So now, Wanda, before we close today, as you know, the people who are in my audience, a lot of them are in traditional organizations, perhaps hierarchical even organizations, whether they be corporate, military, or whatever that may be. And as we're concluding, what words of encouragement would you like to leave for them about how they could even bring these concepts even into the traditional organization? Well, I would say the first thing is to realize that we're going through a paradigm shift and that we're we're in it together, right? This is a collective change transformation that we're going through. A good example is uh, women got the vote 100 years ago, and we're still dealing with that transformation. Civil rights regenerated in the 1950s. We're still dealing with that transformation. And so I think it's important for people to understand that all of us make a little bit of a contribution, but we're here to change the evolutionary spectrum of the human race. We're here to ensure that this idea of respecting everyone, of really valuing the individual, becomes part of of how we operate. And I think for people in hierarchical organizations, the best thing to do is to think about your organization as a matrix. So if you're in the marketing department or you're in the accounting department um, or you're in the administrative, can you make that part of your organization reflect some of these principles so that we begin to change the organization from the inside in different uh, teams and and different departments so that people come up and say, what the heck's happening in the marketing department? They all seem so happy and they're doing such good work, you know? And by the way, their retention is really great and their productivity. So that's what we want to do. We want to become an example by changing it exactly where we are. You know, one of the things I was going to share is that when I was beginning this uh, journey to write this book, I went to every single church I could find in Denver where I live. So I was there with the Buddhist. I was there singing with the African-Americans. I went to the Jews and, and, and the Jewish community and went to Seder's. I went to the Greek Orthodox Church. And I've taught at Messiah College and some of the Baptist colleges. We can find these connection points with everyone. And that's what you want to do. You want to find those connection points with the people you work with. You want to recognize your joint humanity. And you want to talk about the future in a way that says, how can we together build something that we're going to be proud of? And how can we be part of this change to bring about a more compassionate and just organization that values every single individual that's part of it? Wanda, thank you so much for being my guest today on The Voice of Leadership and for being such an inspiration with the words that you've shared with us today. And I will say to my audience out there, you have heard it from Wana. start where you are. Find out what you can do from your chair. Be a role model. Make a difference. Because if it starts with you and people see the light shining, then they will walk towards that light wondering how they can get that too. 
So thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.